Welcome to season three of Sacred Teachings. This season we are talking about dismantling racism. The murder of George Floyd in the United States has become a catalyst for change. Black Lives Matter is a rallying cry as people become aware every single day of the atrocities committed against black people, indigenous people, and other people of color. Racism, sad to say, is alive and well in Canada. In this episode called Haudenosaunee La, we welcome two special guests. Dr. Beverly Jacobs is a Mohawk woman and also an attorney at law. She lives at Six Nations and has recently been appointed Associate Dean in the Faculty of Law at University of Windsor. Beverly has spent most of her life fighting for the human rights of Indigenous people. She will be interviewed by Aaron Wati, a young lawyer from Montreal. Aaron is passionate about dismantling racism within Canada's legal structures. Dr. Jacobs, it's a real honor to talk to you. As a young lawyer, it's a real, it's a really beautiful opportunity to talk to somebody with your experience and all your work in this important field. So thank you for joining us and for letting me be your interviewer. Can you walk us through your journey as a professional working with Canadian law and Indigenous laws? You became a lawyer mm -hmm. in, the, in the 90s. Can you tell us about your lifelong battle for justice? For indigenous people yeah it's it has been since i was born i would say being raised being born into indigenous community i think you're born into politics you're born into a fight for justice there were many reasons i mean one was my mother passed away in 1989 uh, from cancer and i was just young and then Oka happened, so the, the crisis in Ganesatage. And I was already thinking about it then when my, when my mother had passed away and I was just trying to figure out. I took a legal secretarial office administrative course at Mohawk College. And so I was a legal secretary for six years and then became a law clerk. And, and so during that time is when OCA happened and, and I was working and doing most of the work for the lawyers. So I thought, I think I should get paid, really paid for the work that I'm doing and decided at that time. And, and the catalyst was OCA and I was a single mother. I had my daughter uh, right after high school, made a decision at that time to to actually go through and, and, and go through law school. And so when I was in law school, that was probably, it was very awakening for me to see how law was used as a tool to try to assimilate our people and just the, the systemic racism and all of the, uh, the violence that was occurred to our people in the name of colonial law. And so it was a struggle and I was raised very traditionally in my, in my community. And so I was, everything I was learning was completely opposite from what I was taught. And so 
it was it was a fight from day one to actually stay in law school but also to actually have to fight the system even as a student ultimately you started a consulting firm what was the focus of your work and that's when i started to travel across the country and my consulting business was called bear climb consulting and did a lot of work nationally and internationally and a lot of communities the focus a lot of times was on health and well-being and politics of course and the indian act bill c31 the impacts of colonization i was doing different workshops all over the place and then that's when one of my clients was amnesty international and doing the research for stolen sisters report and highlighting missing and murdered indigenous women and the pandemic the crisis of the over uh, representation of women who were are murdered and and missing and also part when partnering with amnesty at that time was to highlight it as a human rights violation as a result of amnesty and meeting with families across the country was probably the 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 most emotional work trauma work working with families who are in trauma and so that became a huge reminder to me about people who felt they didn't have a voice because they had been voicing their trauma and trying to get attention of whatever the issues were and the loss of their loved ones or they they had been trying to do it themselves and they weren't getting any attention and in fact they were treated really crappy and that they the relationship with police and how police were treating them horribly and so that became the catalyst when also working with the native women's association of canada they were to one of my clients so it, it, i was a consultant for them as well before families actually asking me to be their voice and to to run as the elected position of the president of the native women's association of canada and so i did and i was there for 5 years it was one of the most difficult jobs that i've ever had to do just because there was so much on a national basis women who would call and ask because they knew i was a lawyer and ask for legal help and i couldn't do that as president of of anwac and then trying to find them help was another struggle and still is a, a struggle and so that i had seen on the front lines the issues the realities already knowing i lived through it of the realities of of the barriers for indigenous women to achieve justice or to have a have a normal life or to have just to have a life <laughs> just to have life near the end of my term my second term my own cousin was murdered and that had some horrific traumas for me 
to be able to con even to continue in the position because I became way too angry as helping families all the way through. And then it happened to my own family. I had to figure out and, and made a decision that I couldn't do it anymore because my emotional well-being was impacted. And I just remember probably two weeks after burying my cousin meeting with the minister of justice and talking about the issues of missing and murdered indigenous women all i remember because i know that i was in trauma and i was angry i just i think i remember screaming at the minister of justice because his face was red and his eyes were huge listening to me um, and asking about the safety of indigenous women and what's their, what are they gonna do with their positions of power to ensure that women are safe, indigenous women are safe. So that's all I remember. And so when I knew that I was so angry and I couldn't, felt like I couldn't, um, actually I felt like I was hitting my head against a brick wall at that time, still do, but knowing that they have no idea they have not been educated about who we are as indigenous people they haven't been educated about just basic indigenous studies 101 so i would meet during that time i would also meet with parliamentarians you know we'll give you 10 minutes to meet with them and tell them what you're thinking and at that time it was you know, meeting with them and, and they have no idea. So I would walk in and, and talk about the impacts of colonization of indigenous women for 10 minutes and ask them if they, if they have any idea about what I'm talking about and they would have no idea. So that's, and I believe that's true for the majority of leadership in the Canadian government and Ontario government, any other governments that they, they, they're not educated. They have no idea about history. They have no idea about treaty relationships. They have no idea about the impacts of colonization. They might have a little bit of understanding of residential schools now as a result of the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commission and their work that they did. But I still don't think people really understand what, what all of that means. So now I'm hired uh, and work with the law school that I graduated from. It's, it's very empowering. Um, I have the support of an institution, of the law school, of faculty. They supported this ma a mandatory Indigenous legal orders course within the curriculum of first year law school. They support me 100%. It was the faculty that uh, has confidence in me now to be the associate dean and to also to help within the whole institution. And I would say the transformation of Windsor Law has started not only with the building, but also with the transformation of law itself. And so I, I that's that's been my journey my, my not only my own personal my own personal journey and what happened to me and my and my life and understanding about 
violence and abuse and I've been through every kind of, of violence and abuse that you can think of um, to be able to not only survive that but use it and to use it today that uh, helps to fuel my fire uh, to help not only Indigenous women but our people as a whole and knowing about a system, a Canadian legal, political, social system. Um, and what I was talking about is a system that uh, is based on Eurocentric values and beliefs that have no idea about who we are as Indigenous people. And so my journey now is to not only to educate in that system, but also to empower our own. So empower our own legal systems, Indigenous legal orders, to return to uh, our own ways of dealing with conflict, uh, because we had a system in place long before colonization. It's the current systems, you know, that, that we're forced into. Uh, there's been a disrespect of our own belief system. So trying to empower that and bring people back into those uh, value systems and systems of dealing with conflict based on, on principles of our law. And so principles of our law are unconditional love, honesty, kindness, compassion, truth, uh, integrity. So if I were to want to to address conflict, those are the principles that I would rather use than within the current legal system. So that's what I'm trying to do now, is to highlight that, to, to bring it into action, and however, however means that is. And now being able to educate about it and to be able to teach about it, so that the current students who are in law school have have that knowledge. Um, you talked about the law profession when you started out not wanting to hear about Indigenous laws at all and you also talked about needing about being in a position of needing to give Indigenous Studies 101 to the decision makers in um, government and elected officials and those two things those two points are a perfect segue to ask you to talk about what's happening right now at the Land Back Lane camp. Can you explain the protest that's going on and the issue for some people who might not know and might not understand? So this is an ongoing generational struggle to protect the land for future generations. We don't have a lot of land left. And when, when we also know the history of the land, the history of the land is, again, going back to the 1700s when the, the land was supposed to be leased, when we gave the power to the British government way back when to be a trustee of the lands and the territories, right? And the lands were leased to businesses, to towns, to individual owners where they were given a hundred, it was 99 year leases, some were 999 year leases. 
And so Canada, who was given the responsibility to be a trustee, were supposed to take care of the monies, right? Everybody must know what a trustee is and the responsibilities of being a trustee and taking care of somebody else's money that they're supposed to provide an accounting of those funds whenever we ask for it. They have never been able to do that. And in fact, way back when, they even used our stolen monies to buy property that isn't there, wasn't theirs to buy. So today we're dealing with those are forget, who are forgetting that that was the history of the lands and the responsibilities of Canada. So there was a, another time, probably between 1924 to 1951, when we were no longer as status Indians even able to hire a lawyer. So in not being able to even hire a lawyer to fight for our land. So it became colonial law again to stop us from fighting for our lands and our resources, right? So law again becomes part of the tool of colonization to protect Canada, to protect Ontario. And so now we're dealing with um, generational titles of land, right? So in property law, you, you only need to go back 40 years, right? So that's like the title research of, of land. So if that's only how far back legally you need to go back to, the, the real title is over a hundred years ago. And so these third parties, so the land developers, right, those that are developing land are caught up in this battle of land title, of land claims. And so the traditional leadership, so the Haudenosaunee Confederacy were the parties to treaties right, to that relationship with the British Crown. And that's forgotten. So all of a sudden, right, the British Crown says, oh, we're gonna give that responsibility that we had with you and we're giving it to Canada. Well, they didn't tell us that, right? All of a sudden it's in the legal system and saying, okay, well, Canada now has responsibility under their legislation called the Constitution Act. But nobody told the Haudenosaunee Confederacy that and so the Haudenosaunee Confederacy still has that relationship and believes in the relationship with the British Crown because they were the original relationship of the land and the territory of the Haldeman Tract, the Haldeman Deed. So, so again, all those complications. And so when somebody comes in, a developer comes in with an injunction, right? and says, well, we're the title holders. Yes, they have all of that documentation 40 years back. So they bring their, their ex-party motions for injunctions. They don't have to serve anybody. And the judges just go ahead with the information that they have in front of them. And they don't have the historical documentation or the, the 
um, the reasons why there's land protectors, right? Where Haudenosaunee, this generation are continuing to follow Haudenosaunee law by protecting the lands and the territories for future generations. So that's, that's the battle. We not only have a battle of, of Haudenosaunee law and colonial law, we have a battle between governments um, and even internally within our own, within our own territories. So we have so many different beliefs as a result of colonization, the impacts of colonization, internal struggles, internal. And so now the young people are saying, we're done with that. We don't want, we don't want the conflict in our community anymore because we want you to make a decision. We want you to respect our laws because our laws was never about division. Our laws are about unity or about love, about kindness. So that's what they're reminding us. They're reminding us about our laws, that we need to be peaceful. We need to be at peace. We need to ensure that our relationships with each other is resolved, whether there's conflict internally, that we have to address that and get over it and get past it so that we can think about the future generations. That's what they're telling us. They're reminding us about um, our relationship to the natural world. That's what Haudenosaunee law is not just about our relationship as human beings, it's our relationship also with the natural world and that we should be thinking about because we're in the midst of a crisis, not only this pandemic, right, this COVID that we're dealing with, but also in our relationship to the natural world and what's happening uh, on Mother Earth and that we need to take that responsibility and, and be thinking about the future and that every decision that we make today has an impact seven generations from now. So they're reminding all of us about what, what that is. And, and they're, pretty, they're pretty powerful young people uh, because they've been taught. They have been taught that and they've seen that. They've seen at least two generations, three generations fighting for the same lands and territories. Thank you, Dr. Jacobs. And thank you to our audience for listening to Haudenosaunee Law, part one of our interview with Dr. Beverly Jacobs. Join us for part two next week. We'll dive deeper into dismantling racism in the next episode of Sacred Teachings. Don't miss it. Thank you for listening to season three of Sacred Teachings. Get new episodes every Monday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Mimeo, and Podbean. Follow us on Instagram at Canadian Anglican and check out our previous episodes on all platforms. Subscribe to the show so you don't miss out and please spread the word. See you next time.